Hey there, anglers, and welcome to SAA Guide Talk. I am your host and SAA Guide, Mitch Carter. To his left, I'm Ethan Hallfield, head guy here Southern Appalachian Anglers. And to his left, <laughs> owner and GM, Paul Kieselewski. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, we are back in the studio again uh, with a little bit of a wonky posting schedule for you guys. Uh, we apologize for that. We've been pretty busy this fall. Um, we've been taking a lot of trips, uh, even had some double headers, two trips a day, morning and afternoon trips, um, or at least I have, um, lots of full day floats, lots of wades, uh, fall fishing is in full swing right now. So, uh, we're pretty excited about that. All things considered. Um, and, uh, today we've got another free talk, um, and a couple things that we've been kind of overlooking here. One thing is we want to know about Paul's tournament day um, that he had over on Lake Douglas. And another thing I wanted to cover today was maybe a little bit of Ethan's flycraft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we we've been we've been skipping over uh, Ethan's little flycraft review officially on the podcast here, and uh, that's that's something that we were wanting to try to get out of the way today too. But uh, Paul, if you want to kick her off with just how your tournament went this past weekend, sounds good. Um, I was just thinking you should do a review of the flycraft. Yes, we should. That'd be awesome. Once I get some more time YouTube video on the water, we'll do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Didn't want to forget about that. We already liked it pretty good. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. So, tournament. uh, Big Bass Tour on Douglas. Uh, I think it was October 7th through the 9th. I just did the Sunday slot because that's the only date that I had available at the time uh, with work. And so, I had a game plan. I'll just go through just what I did and what I should have done. Um, awesome, Awesome tournament format. First time I ever fished it really fun uh kind of like an mlf style where you just launch wherever you want to launch uh run to your starting spot and they send you a text at seven o'clock saying first cast and then you're ready to go fish and every hour from eight to nine nine to ten and so on until two to three you can weigh in one fish and there's ten spots on the leaderboard uh, that you can get paid out money for and then of course biggest bass of the entire event takes home a new boat and not sure if it's some cash too probably is um so uh the biggest one i caught was a two six and i was trying to get in the eight to nine slot but i was so far up river that it took me 40 minutes to run to dandridge boat uh, i think it's called like walter's boat dock or something yeah, dandridge that. boat ramp yeah it's a pretty and long run yeah, so it took me 40 minutes in the little tin rig to go all the way down there. I timed it out. So I missed the 8-9 to nine slot, which I would have got bumped out anyway. Um, but regardless, I wanted to weigh in one fish. Uh, I could have kept fishing up there and then changed game plans, but I had to weigh in one fish just to see the whole deal. And when I got up there, um, it was just super fun. Just felt like uh, felt like it did 10 years ago with uh weighing in weighing in fish at a tournament so that's awesome super dude. super pumped when i got up there um pretty pretty intimate with all the with all the guys up there they just check your name weighing fish they take it it's kind of full service they take the fish and um, dump it out for you in the back in the lake so weighed in that fish uh stuck with my game plan because i find that if you start moving around and don't stick with your game plan then 
stuff happens, but you also need to fish freely at the same time and fish the conditions, uh, which I didn't really do. I was kind of hard-headed because being first tournament, I didn't want to mess anything up. So I fished all the way up river and I ran all the way up river where I couldn't, I mean, it was like a foot deep and motor was just bogging down and silt and mud and leaves. Um, flipping brush, throwing a chatterbait and my history on Douglas is by throwing a chatterbait, you can always catch a big one Yeah, <laughs> and you guys know that. So mm-hmm. I did that and it was just, it was, it was a bust as far as that goes. But at the end of the tournament, um, probably around one o'clock, I ran down to a cove, me and, or Casey coined friendship cove. Cause we ran up there one spring and it was, there were so many boats in there that we just named it friendship code. Cause like there's people fishing right beside each other, oh, <laughs> like nice. bass boat, bass boat, bass boat, bridge, bass boat, bass boat. <laughs> like I was friendship cove. So ran to friendship cove. And then when, uh, there was there, I didn't catch anything in there and it just gets beat to like beat a big to community hole. It's, a, it's yeah. like a, yeah, there's a, it's a amazing looking cove where just, chunk rock you got old rock you've got a bridge that funnels into a bigger cove and there's a creek in the back and everything Mm -hmm. just looks amazing in there so nothing there ran across the lake and what i found what i was telling you earlier is as they were dropping that water they had these little pockets that look like puddle i called them puddle pockets and it reminded me of lake norman when in the wintertime, when those shads start moving up there, clear water, I started seeing, I just saw like little shadows, little ball shadows, which were shad in the back. And I kept going closer and closer with the trolling motor and power pulled down because it was only like four feet. And then there's a little channel in the middle that was like eight. And there's a bunch of shad there. I saw a big one bus at the end, 30 minutes to go. Could never catch him. But what I probably should have done is just kept a swim bait and a spook and maybe a buzz bait in my hand and ran that pattern the whole entire day. So takeaways, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that I was learned from that. I need to definitely need to learn the South end of the lake a lot because I've only really fished up river, uh, pretty much I 40 bridge up. I've spent a lot of time learning and down below a little bit, but I don't really like that midsection as much from Dandridge boat dock to I 40. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a weird zone. I forty bridge does fish well. Oh, I do have a win. I did win something. Um, Oh, you didn't tell us that. What was the win? Well, I'm about to tell you. So, (laughs) when I was fishing I forty bridge, which is usually pretty good, everyone fishes those rock, those uh, bluff rock over there. And as it drops, it gets better, and because the creek channel swings on it. And so I was fishing that. Caught one on a jerk bait. Uh, it was small, so I just threw it back. And then I did a donut out of there. I said, screw this, I'm going to go upriver. So I did a donut. So I went up all, all the way upriver to the last, cl- close to the Nolichucky. And looked in the back. I was like, where's my net? My net's not here. So my net wasn't there. And I was like, I know, I guarantee you I left it, you know, it fell out when I was doing that. You know, just not a donut, but just like half a donut to like go around a pill, uh, a pylon and then sure right um go back up river and so i went down i was like well by the time i get down to mid lake start fishing that stuff near friendship cove i'm gonna go hit that bluff wall one more time so as i was fishing i met this other bass boat that was coming up river towards me fishing the bank 
And I was like, I bet, I wonder if he saw a net. And in the distance, I saw a big red pole sticking out of um, his con- <laughs> his console or his uh, um, back of the deck. And I hollered at him. I was like, hey, man, you find a red and black EGO net? And he looked back and grabbed it and came up to me and gave it to me. So nice. nice. <laughs> Saved me 180 bucks or however much those there things are. There you go. Um, but, yeah, awesome tournament. Had a blast. Excited to – it was kind of a good stepping stone for me just to, you know, get back into it a little bit and get the feel for it. It wasn't like a legitimate tournament. Just kind of like a fun tournament. Just breaking just the ice. A, just a fish, mm-hmm. you know. That's awesome. Nothing too serious or anything. <clears throat> but, yeah, awesome, awesome. time. Yeah, man. I think I know where you went wrong. You didn't throw the chicken. I didn't throw the chicken. <laughs> yeah. The chicken story yeah. is pretty funny. I'll briefly tell that when yeah. we were go ahead. We were up there on Douglas just tech checking water levels and then Me and Paul. Yep. And as we were walking to the boat ramp to just look see if they were shad up these little creeks, we saw a lady taking a picture of uh, big it was about four pounder three and a half it pound was a hog. maybe maybe three and three quarter pounder bass yeah. um it would have cast a check for sure and she was taking pictures her husband was taking pictures of it and it had it like, out for about two minutes like 30 feet up the bank yeah and yeah. so we're like yeah that fish is toast so they brought it over to the concrete pillar over there plopped it on there and just started stabbing it with a fillet knife <laughs> Gosh. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And there went your chances of winning. Well, right funny. <laughs> That's exactly where I was fishing. I actually fished that little yeah. creek creek garden that came in there. And yeah. I didn't see a thing. There I was told, fish there at one point, apparently. So, so I, but told, here, I told Paul, I said, I said, there went your fish right there, dude. Yeah. Oh, man. So as we were walking back after we witnessed that, we were walking back to the truck and she was hollering at another lady saying, Yeah, it ate the chicken. Yeah, she was like, she's like, we tried throwing the hot dog in there, and then we threw the chicken. And my takeaway from that was throw the chicken. And it was so funny because I was walking right in between her and the lady as she said that, and she just said throw the chicken, and I went and like tried not to like die laughing. And she said as soon as it hit the water, as soon as it hit the water, that bass ate it. And yeah, then I Paul looked was at, like top water. Yeah, I looked at Mitch. I was like, they're gonna eat top water. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, and. uh so. Yeah, they were like catfishing or something. I don't know. Yeah. But they were, she was like taking a big old picture of it. I don't know if they originally wanted to eat it or if they just killed it because they held it out of the water too long and I then think... decided to eat it. But then we saw the warden rolling down. Yeah. Right after that, which, I mean. Old green pants. Yeah. Old green pants was <laughs> coming into town. Yeah. That, that's a sketchy boat ramp. That's a very strange boat ramp. <laughs> that is a bad boat ramp. Yeah, we Don't saw some ladies. ever park your truck at the last boat ramp on Douglas. Yeah, yeah that Don't place is a ever. little interesting. Well, we saw some lady just sitting there in a lawn chair just staring at the mud. Oh. Yeah, where yeah. the lake was drained. We were like, huh, okay. But anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's that. Um, it's really cool to see Paul get back into tournaments, um, do some competition fishing again. What did it feel like when you got the text that was like first cast? Were you like, oh, this is it? Like, we're in it? Or were you like chill about it or like nervous? Or I wasn't nervous. I was just very excited. Yeah. It was like so excited that you get nervous. Like, or not even nervous, just super excited. Like, just, yeah, just super pumped, super excited. And, um, yeah, I really wasn't nervous. I was, it was all excitement. And that's awesome. Uh, that's what I was hoping. Had a game plan, went with it. One of my first casts, probably first ten casts, I caught a two three, 
on a spinnerbait. Nice. And um, oh, I think I caught like four fish. But, you know, I went for went for broke up river and tried to find a big one that was getting pulled down from the from the lake and you know, gave gave it my all. So Yeah, man, that's yeah. awesome. That's super cool. Um yeah, that that that's fun stuff. That's exciting stuff when and uh, you know, I remember being the controller for just like fly fishing competitions and then like me getting stoked whenever like the air horn would blow or like the whistle would blow, you know, everybody was like first cast and it was like, it was on, but you know, that, that competition feeling is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, speaking of, (laughs) speaking of competition, should we weigh in on the, uh, the whole walleye situation that apparently made national news? Oh Lord (laughs) of mercy. Ethan, you've heard of this, right? Yeah. I saw some videos of it and I mean, you'd be surprised at how often that does happen. Um, I think it just kind of got blown up because of the reaction to it and just kind of yeah. what transpired when they weighed those fish in. Um, what transpired? Was it just like a bunch of awe? Like, oh my gosh. Or, well, like, I, mean, I, didn't when you, see, I didn't look much further into when it. When you look at the videos, I mean, you can kind of tell from the the wad themselves that it looked kind of bigger than what they should have been, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I'm not an expert on walleye, but I mean, just kind of looking at the fish when they, were, when they were holding it up, you know, at the end there. Um a little sag in the belly there. Yeah, they were pretty, f- <laughs> and and just felt like their weigh-in compared to everybody else's was just, you know, ridiculous. Ridiculous, uh, right? Well, the way I explained it, because a lady asked me about that today, she's like, "Did you hear that?" Th-? Or on my one of my trips, she said, "Did you hear that? Uh, that whole thing that happened in Ohio at the walleye?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Man, those guys are just dumb." I mean, because you catch like you, everyone knows like. And I equate it to like river smallmouth. We, we, we all know what like a pound, pound and a half river smallmouth looks like, right? How many inches would you equate that to on average? What like, I don't know, 12, 13? Yeah, somewhere mm. around in there. And what it would depends a, what on would time a, of year too, but sure. Okay, yeah. then what would a four pounder be? Something that's twice that size. Well, it depends on whether it's like pre-spawn or anything like that. But well, fifth. but just like. Be in the upper teens. Upper yeah. teens, right? Mid teens. So teens, a pounder teens. somewhere in there would be around 12 inches. Four pounder would be like late teens. Yeah, you go and you take a you go and you take a fish that's twelve inches long, weigh it, and it's four pounds or five pounds or ever. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> it's like the fish. I don't think the fish made sense to just how. Well, I think like the weight didn't make the weight didn't match the length. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What you're like, saying? Yeah. What you're saying is they look smaller than what they should. What, what they, they were sh- weighing. What they were weighing. Right. It, that's what I'm trying to. Because it was yeah, like yeah. thirty something pounds. Yeah, right. It was they ridiculous. They all looked like they were. I don't know. Four, thirty pounds. Four pounders. I think it was like thirty two. or wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. It was something ridiculous. Yeah. I and I mean, <laughs> it's just thirty pound walleye, baby. And I think there was ten some, inches long. <laughs> I think there was some suspicion of it too beforehand, right? Because they've won. They've won. I think it was two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars over the last two or three years. Right, and I mean, if you go and on that much of a winning this. streak for that long, I mean, even some like the best fishermen I know couldn't do that, right? And, and so yeah. it starts getting a little fishy after that point. But I mean, I remember like fishing down in Raleigh. Um, one guy I was with hung a lobster trap that was down, just like in the bottom of a log jam mm. and that was probably where someone was using it to hold fish for in a tournament mm. um so. so what i've heard happen is like you know they'll get like a lobster trap or a crab trap and they'll catch like a 
nice large mouth like a couple of days before the tournament, stuff it in there, and then sink it down the bottom of the lake, and then tournament day they come and then get it, right? Yeah. And it, like I said, it happens a lot more than what you think. I mean, oh, yeah. Um, so it didn't really surprise me that they got caught with it, but it was just I think the reason why it blew up so much was just from the overall reaction to it um, that the like the tournament controller had and like – um, yeah, it, I mean, he was mad, and I, I don't really blame him. You know, like no, I would be, I'd be mad too. Like that's gross. Um, yeah, and I guess that just goes to show you that, you know, I think those guys got off pretty easy, mm. considering they were surrounded by all these people they had just beat, quote unquote, mm. and robbed them of a ton of money, and then they saw that in person. I mean. Dude, uh, tempers I, well, could flare pretty quick at well, that. Well, what do you so. do at that point, dude? I mean, because when that happens, I mean, those guys can't win, right? They're not, they're no, not winners. But... They're instantly DQ'd, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, does the whole – I guess the whole tournament just gets scratched. No. Right? No, no or does it go to second? No, or Yeah, you go, go to second. They get DQ'd, and hopefully – what? I mean, in that situation, obviously, it was caught uh, with in time. Yeah, but in past events, that's kind of what they're. From what I can read, what I have read just recently is they're trying to figure out what they're gonna do to them. Yeah, and is it gonna be? Because usually it'll be felony charge of like money laundering type yeah. deal. Yeah, I mean it's basically it's illegal ramification. I mean yeah. you're stealing from a corporation. Exactly. Yeah, and oh, they're probably gonna get lawyered up. I'd say. Well, you see the picture of them or the video of them. I think it was a picture of them sitting by the cops. Yeah. Probably for their own sake. To be honest. Oh, honestly, yeah. that's a million wonders they walked out of there without a scratch. I know. Yeah. Well, I wonder. So, how did the judges just like? What was the judges' first inclination of them cheating? Aside from the weight, I mean, did they? Because yeah. apparently they've done this in the past. If they've won multiple tournaments, it's likely if they got caught doing this that they cheated in all or at least a it's few possible. of those tournaments. Yeah. I mean, right? it's kind of oh. hard to prove, but yeah. I yeah. Mean, surely. Yeah. Surely. So, like, what was the inclination this time? for the the judges to be like okay something ain't right was it just a winning streak or was it like i don't know i mean what the I way read, that they weighed in because i mean the way that the the way that the fish looked i mean you know looks didn't match the weight it was just ridiculously overweight and i'm sure there was you know so much stuff shoved down in it that it just didn't look right in the first place and i wonder if that tripped the trigger or if it was maybe yeah, something know. else or i read that it was uh, the tournament director felt something hard in the belly uh, uh, and that would be a good indication. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, hmm. Because, I mean. Well, to. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But, no, to, but to elaborate on that, what all did they put? Didn't they put like. Uh, <laughs> didn't they put like food and. They put like fish fillets and yeah, lead like fish weights. Fish fillets they and lead weights. Fillet, yeah. They filleted fish and wrapped them in the weights. Oh, so or, were, or the weights just, were wrapped in the fillet and then pushed them in there. That way, you couldn't like feel the weight. I mean, it was sneaky. It was premeditated, like hardcore premeditated. That's really sneaky. I wonder why you wouldn't do it in like bubble wrap, or you know what I mean, or something. Because I mean, if you're going to do that, what's a fish fillet going to do? <laughs> like, if they spit it up, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, don't and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I know a daggum thing about walleye tournaments but don't they don't they kill those fish or do they yeah yeah a lot of fish i think die because i mean if they get ripped out of deep water it's oh right right flw because they're probably trolling for them and yeah all that kind of deal right yeah flw used to hold walleye tournaments and i think they would 
you know, every fish they brought in was dead, or yeah. they probably just eat them after. So most of them are dead anyhow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they have this whole thing, so those guys, and clearly, I don't want to get a whole tangent about this, but yeah. they, everyone's going to think that, of course, they were cheating, right, for years. Mm-hmm. If they've done it, if they, if it was that premeditated, surely, right? Yeah. And then you think of... Um, yeah, I mean, it got to be. Jeff Sprague, or Sprague, or however you say it, um, like owns Toro Motors or, or has some affiliation with Toro Motors, mm-hmm. um, a lawnmowers. Oh, yeah. And he was caught getting information waypoints in MLF. Mm. But MLF found out about this in February. It just came to light in September, I think, or August, mm-hmm. uh, or just came to the public. But Toro sponsors MLF, ooh, so that's why they like kept it hush hush for so many Yikes. months, right? Yeah. And finally, it came to light. Hmm. And I can't remember what happened if he, but he got a slap on the wrist. Of course. Everyone at MLF was pissed. Of course you would be, right? Yeah. Yeah, Even like your teammates or your like roommates or fishing buddies. Like you're just, you know, whether it be a $10,000 check or a $100,000 check. But still, once that's brought to light, then everybody kind of knows that. And so in the end, it's it's still not worth it. You're still a cheater. Yeah, you're still a cheater. (laughs) Yeah, if you can't do it the right way, you might as well just not do it. You know it. Your buddies know it. Everyone, you know, MLF knows it. Now it's like out in the air that you're a cheater and you just lose like all of your rep. Uh huh. Like, yeah. I think if anything, it'll be kind of a harsh, definitely a lot harsh lesson for those guys. I mean, they're probably never going to be allowed a tournament of any kind ever again. Oh heck no, uh, dude! I was telling Paul, that, I doubt they're going to be all able- sponsorships. You know, yeah. all that. Yeah, I was telling Paul, I doubt they're going to be able to get a fishing license. I doubt they're going to be able to. I mean, they they might be barred like from everything after that i mean it's so big you know what i mean yeah because you know ohio is going to be like well we don't want to you know have that happen to our fishery i mean i don't i guess well i guess from you know from a conservation standpoint if the fish was dead already that fish is going to get you know eaten or disposed of in some capacity anyway um, so what they do after the fish, I don't, I don't guess is fish and wildlife's problem. So, I mean, I guess they're not doing anything illegal there, Yeah, I'm but not, I'm not really an expert on how those tournaments are ran or yeah. anything, but, uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but moral story kids don't be a cheater in a tournament. Yeah. Especially in today's age with <laughs> Just, social media. Cause you'll get roasted. Yeah. Don't be a cheater quickly. at all, dude. Like, nope. Come on. But on that be note, <laughs> On that note, when we the when Ohio we get into walleye incident, um, what should we get into next? We got Paul's tournament. We got the Ohio walleye incident. You want to get into your fly crash? Sure, let's talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm now the proud owner of a 14 foot the the guide model fly craft. Yes, 14. Oh, cool. Yes, it's 14 feet. Um, about 56 inches wide, which is much narrower than any of the other boats that we have right now. Um, it is for what it is extremely awesome. It's more of a, the way I describe like a fly craft or like one of the stealth craft hooligans or anything like that is they're more kind of like a, I would call them like a niche boat, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, you can do like normal stuff with them, sure, but they're they're more meant for like skinny, small water. That's where they kind of shine. The all terrain. Yes, and so me and Mitch took it out. Uh, when, how, when was it? Back in August or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and so we took it out, took it for a test run. Um, but before I get into that, the assembly of it was pretty easy. Um, it came in like uh, three-ish boxes or so, give or take, all at the same time. Um, assembly of it was pretty straightforward, just like any other Warframe raft. Um, the oars that come with it are pretty nice. Uh, the Pro Locks are extremely light. Um, yes, lighter than any of ours that we have. And yeah. They're awesome. Um, as we were rowing it down, one thing I noticed is that for what it is, it's extremely stable. Because me and Mitch were standing on like the sides of the bladders, and we never felt like we were going to tip over at any point. Yeah, um, it's got a drop stitch floor in it, fully inflated. It is a self bailing raft, but fully inflated, it feels like you're walking on a drip boat floor almost. Like yeah. it's it's not like a traditional raft floor where you know if you're in the rower seat, you kind of have a squishy bottom even when it's fully inflated. Like this one's pretty solid. And well, you know what it reminded me of the floor. What's it that? reminded me of the walls of a NRS Freestone, mm. like that hard, like rubber. Yeah, it's the same the, thing. Like the tight chamber. Yeah, yeah, it's like the same stuff. Yeah. So it's a for for what it is. Like I said, it's incredible. It's it's really good at getting down very narrow lines. Um, we went through some pretty skinny little shoots and got through them just fine. Places I would never we were think to put the drift boat <laughs> or raft in. You know. Yeah. Um, with me and Mitch in there and with our gear, which we didn't have much along. Um, I think we were drafting maybe two inches, if that. Literally two inches. Um, we were trying at one point to get it hung up on rocks and just could not get it hung up. Like yeah. we were going over shoals and dude, that one rock that we just kind of skimmed past, like we still hit it, but it just rubbed it. And that was only like maybe, maybe an inch of water. It was like half inch. It was ridiculous. Well, yeah, it was it was pretty shallow. I mean, but. it was ridiculous. No, yeah, probably about an inch of water. Honestly. Yeah, it was. It was and pretty that was, shallow. That was in like um, glassy water that was really slow, and like we took it over the rock and just like turned on the rock three or four times and like went back and forth on it and didn't even get hung up on it. Mm -hmm. And then the places where we got a little too brave and did get hung on rocks, that thing's so narrow that you were able just to kind of rock it back and forth and just it would shove right off the rock. Mm -hmm. If it, it that's if it did get hung on a rock, yeah. There and we were running in low water on the Noli. It was probably what like six something that day, in clear, mm. low and clear. I don't yeah, want to it say it was like quite 600. six. Yeah. yeah, it was right six hundred, give or take. It was really low. Yeah, um, low enough to where I wouldn't. It would have been a struggle and a bigger raft to go yeah. down. To be honest with you, but um, went down a couple of big drops in it, handled them fine. Um, it's definitely not a boat that I would take on anything higher than a three on. Um, and I wouldn't go on a three unless you knew what you were doing, like being able to row. Um, a three, like a, a class three. Like class three. Yeah, like a class three rapid. Yeah, that's what um, I thought you were And that's about. what they're rated for. I mean, if it was you by yourself, I'm not going to say don't go down a four, but I mean, it's it, that's not really what they're meant for. Um like I said, they're meant for going down smaller rivers and skinnier water, and they track really nicely. It's a, it's a dream to row. They're awesome. So light. Um, yeah. If I have any complaints with it, which these are kind of minor, um, the oarlocks that came with it. So this was like, to be honest with you, my whole rowing career, I've never had like oarlocks that hold the oars in a static plane. Like when they're in locks. the Yeah. Yeah, you locks. So, and I could see where they would benefit someone who's like wild water rafting going down the Grand Canyon. 
but for what we do and a lot of the skinnier water up here, you couldn't skull it like you couldn't turn your oars any. So uh, I kind of ditched those after trying it then and put just regular rubber oar stops on it, and they're fine now. Um, the leg locks for let's let's say larger people are kind of tricky to get in and out of. Yeah, um, the leg locks aren't super deep. No, they're not. Yeah. They're not deep. But a- again, as long as you kind of know halfway what you're doing, mm-hmm. they're they're totally fine. Um, and it'll be could, a great blow to guide out of, especially in really skinny water. Mm-hmm. Um, it's extremely stable. It's a lot more stable than I dreamed it would be. Um, the anchor system is awesome because uh, mm-hmm. the anchor system runs through the frame instead of outside the frame. Yeah, and it's got a two to one mechanical advantage anchor system. Uh, I got the twenty pound anchor, um, and it does fine. I mean, held us just fine. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't really need much with that type of bow. You don't need like a thirty pound or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, no, Lord, and no. It probably drags the boat in the water. It's very easy to move. So I end up getting a trailer for it. Um, they do advertise that, you know, their boats, you don't necessarily have to have a trailer for. I could see that with the 12-foot models that they make. Um, the 14-footer, for me and, and for my back's sake, I got a trailer for it. I had the kind of the idea of getting a, a bed extender, which I ended up doing. And the first time we took it out, we took it out in my Tacoma and threw it in the bed. And it sticks out a pretty fur piece. Um, but it did fine. Uh, if you were going to get the 14 foot version if it were me i'd probably get a small trailer for it for anyone listening it might be interested in one um but with that being said if you got two people i mean with the frame and everything on it you can pick it up and move it with two people no problem yeah if you were getting like really hairy with it and going somewhere you couldn't pull the trailer which at that point (laughs) i don't think you're gonna have uh um floatable water anyway so it's yeah It'd be really easy to portage. Like, if you had to get around something, it'd be oh, yeah. extremely easy to portage. Oh, yeah, very. You know? There's, like, a lot of weight reduction on that boat because there's no platforms. You know, the uh, all the tubing's a lot smaller, mm-hmm. you know, a lot you know, a lot skinnier. Um, anchors, anchors lighter. Um, rower seats are light. The only thing, kind of like you were saying, that – because, I mean, I was fishing on the front of it for the – for the maiden voyage there and the only thing like you say i just wish that those leg locks were a little deeper yeah but i think you can get on minor. like nrs or something and probably replace those i'd say yeah well it's it's very minor I it's mean, super minor yeah that's kind of being kind of nitpicky with it too to be but honest, almost but fell out of the boat <laughs> only once <laughs> remember at the cane river hole and like something happened i like leaned down and get a bait and like i thought i had more leg lock to go and i like almost went overboard like I slipped up and like almost fell into the gate all. <laughs> so what were you gonna ask, Paul? Yeah, oh, yeah. Did sorry. you trailer it? Mess around with it? You take it around? Not yet. I'm getting ready to. I've been the trailer that I got is pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> picked up off Craigslist. It was an old Bayliner trailer. Someone converted to a flatbed. Yeah. Um, and Mitch is gonna work on welding some welding work for me this yeah, the winter. Yeah, the poor hopefully. guy that welded that thing. I think he learned how to weld so he could build that trailer. There. Yes. If anyone knows anything about welding, it was like not it's like barely together just static enough to be put together and there's wire hanging off of it all over the place <laughs> and i told ethan i said because i don't think you knew much about welding anyway no, and, not really and you, it doesn't take much to know about welding to look at that weld and go wow <laughs> well but it's together and it's, it's together not, yeah, and it's it'll nice. be fine i mean yeah. i would be more worried about it if i was hauling a bigger boat on it but it's kind of yeah. funny looking at the the fly craft and you look at the underside there's just like a massive <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, something meant for like a bay boat, right? Yeah. Um, once I get the roller on there, got her got her legal with the tags and everything already. Once I get the boat on there, or not the boat, the rollers on there, 
we'll be we'll be riders rain. Even that's kind of minor yeah. too. I could use it right now without those. But no, I haven't trailed her yet. I'm gonna take her out here. Uh whenever I get time and I'm not floating on the French all the time. Which <laughs> the, speaking the, of that not think, floating on the French on the adipose yeah, all the time. Yeah, speaking that, of that, that, I've been that living high on the hog uh yeah. the last week or so. I guess we're getting to talk about our trips right now. Um been doing really well on the French recently. Um, small mouth floats is what I've been running most of the last few days. I had one, uh, back country trip a couple of days ago and that was kind of the last back country for the year. Um, I will say that the, as far as that's concerned, um, and I'm glad I went up and checked, we went up and looked at a small brook trout stream, which shall not be named. And they're already getting ready to spawn. Uh, the males and yes. females are kind of staging at the tail outs of runs and, um, so if you do plan on going fishing, don't go anywhere with their specs right now. Cause they're getting ready to start doing their thing. Yeah. And that's very important for their population's sake. So extremely important. And brown trout should be getting ready to do that soon. But, um, the backcountry trip I had wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, but all things considered with water being so low right now, we, mm-hmm. we did pretty well. Um, the, the couple that I had, the lady caught a really nice one at the very end on a dry fly on a 40 foot roll cast. So that was really sweet. Um, 40 foot roll cast yes a 40 foot roll cast <laughs> a distance roll cast That's it awesome. was absolutely incredible and just kind of a shot in the dark to be honest with you but it yeah. worked um what kind of rod were you using to make this 40 foot roll cast eight was six four weight clear water old son wow <laughs> and uh was it just but it's a, a leader it's a leader that makes it oh yeah 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 you, with the long leaders that's a that's a must with that did uh um was it a single dry fly, like a like a, or was it a dry dropper? It was actually a dry dropper. Um, oh, okay. When I'm teaching people how to roll cast, I don't normally start out with just a dry fly because with the added weight of the dropper on there, it allows it to carry out a little bit further. Yeah, and you um, can like water load it a little better. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I've been doing all smallmouth. It's been consistent. Um, I'm not going to say it's been the easiest fishing, but overall, it's not been bad considering that we're. We're kind of in a drought right now, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, things have been very really low and very skinny. The French has been running under a thousand for the last uh, week or so. Um, the patterns kind of been they eat really good in the morning. Ten o'clock comes around and they just disappear for a while. Yep. And then you just fish the daylights out of them and maybe pick up one or two. And then if you run a full day, usually right around that sun dropping around two or three o'clock in the evening, then you usually run to a few more. Mm-hmm. So they're really kind of staying out of the, they're really not feeding when the sun's high in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, it's kind of almost like a summertime bite where they're eating early in the morning, late in the evening. The the patterns are like, you know, the way we're patterning them out's kind of a typical fall pattern, but, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of fish in the net. Um, it's not been as easy to catch a big ones this year as it has been in years past, but we have got some really nice ones. Like, uh, first fish on today's trip was about a two pounder, give or take. We doubled up with that. And one that was about maybe a pound and a half. So that was a fun way to start the day. Mm-hmm. Um, lost another one that was pretty good size one a couple of days ago. Uh, I never got a look at the fish, but judging by how it fought, it was big. Um, and it stayed down very deep. And so I never got to get a good look at it. And unfortunately the, fish was a little too camera shy for us so but yeah overall it's been it's been fairly consistent um i've got those rolling i've got another one tomorrow um i've got a trout wade friday i believe saturday we all have smallmouth throats we're taking all three of us yeah. are on deck and and for the same trip i believe right yeah the first triple boater in nice. SAA history the big, is going down. The big group one we're excited for yeah. that 
Um, yeah, and Paul had to step out, or else I'd say that he was pretty stoked too. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> he is stoked. We yeah, know that. he's stoked. Um, yeah. And then you know we're I've got my first trout float of the year on Sunday, I believe. Um, so the hopefully the tuck- well, I was supposed to have one this past week, but the colorway stretch of the Tuckasee was running so low, it wouldn't have been even yeah. floatable almost. So. Um, got my first one coming up here in on Sunday. I'm pretty excited about that. It'll be good to get back on Tuck again. Yeah. Um, except Mitch is dragging me down Stalker to Colby with him. So <laughs> Stalker Town. Oh Lord. So with that being said, um, we're we're getting into that uh that beautiful time of the year where everything's kind of coming together. We've got some yeah. musky floats coming up. I'm pretty excited about if we get some rain. Yeah, um, that's, that's those musky floats are going to be a little sketchy without. So it. I'll tell you all for those who are listening, um, you can still run to musky at low water. It's not impossible, but you have to kind of think about it as like your like finesse musky fishing, right? So um, I wouldn't say sight fishing for them, but you're using just basically smaller stuff. Um, if you throw like a big like ten inch long crankbait and the water's three feet deep, well, you're going to probably spook any fish that's there to be quite honest with you so um when it gets this low in the past what i've done is i kind of scaled down just the size of the baits um throwing like small bucktails like a meps musky killer that's like maybe three quarters of an ounce maybe just like five inches long um smaller crankbaits will work uh a husky jerk if you change out the hooks on it is a great Mm -hmm. musky bait um anything along those lines is fine um and after that, it just turns into musky fishing where you fish your brains out and maybe you see one and maybe you don't. Yeah. That's just musky fishing. But yeah. um, on that note, since I've only done really smallmouth for the last couple of days, Mitch, you want to tell the good folks about the <laughs> trout fishing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's been good. Um, the low water has really um, kind of slowed things down. And um, I've I've been doing a lot of delayed harvest stuff because tis the season. It is the season. And, uh even those, even those stockfish right now in low water are uh, a little pickier. Um, you can still catch them, um, you know, stockfish, right? But um, with that low water, there's there's not a lot of current, and uh, you know, fish that fresh off the stock, or um, they don't know where they're at, they don't know what they're doing, <laughs> and the low water has just got them a little. A little confused right now but we've right. just been doing we've just been doing midges and fishing it like wild water and mm-hmm. it's been okay so um the biggest thing though right now is just the pressure having to battle all the pressure and, yeah, and i'm, I'm kind of curious about that because i've been out there well i was out there one day to see it and it was crazy <laughs> that one day i was out yeah, there yeah that was a saturday or something yeah that was a saturday and it was i knew it i knew it was probably going to be busy but i didn't expect it to be that busy yeah, um, um, and we've seen it like that before during kind of the, I guess you call it the height of COVID in 2020, um, where it was pretty crazy out there. Um, but the way you guys have been talking, it's been pretty well, nuts. The thing it's is, just the low water. Yeah, yeah I think that's it's just what the low Mitch is probably going to say. Uh, the thing is, though, is like, you know, it, if it's so crowded, and like I hate taking people to places where it's crowded and i've like right. the first day like opening day of delayed harvest season i took a trip on the davidson um and it was like the day after stock on west fork of the pigeon and i was you know thinking about taking my clients there but i just got to thinking man i mean it's first day of stock on the river that's closest to Asheville. there's going to be every guide service 
and basically probably from like Bryson City to Asheville, just all going to that one river. That one well, delayed the first one that gets stocked too, isn't it? One yeah, of the first it's ones? it's stocked on like the first of October, mm. like every it's like the first to third of October, like gotcha. every season. I think this year might have been stocked on the third, hmm. and um, I told my clients, and we were <laughs> we were in the truck on the way to the Davidson. He said, "So what made you pick the Davidson today?" I said, "Honestly, I said there's a river close by that they just stocked yesterday." I said, "But there's probably going to be 150 people out there, like easy." Like, it was mm. probably going to be nuts out there. Like, maybe not all at one time, but, like, cycled through. And, I mean, you know, it's first day after stock on West Fork of the Pigeon. It was, like, shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. And I told him, I said, I said we could go out there and combat fish all day, or we could just go to the Davidson and have nobody out there and still catch fish. And he was like, okay, fair enough. And I was like, I said, so I was kind of weighing the options in my head. Like, either we go shoulder to shoulder or, you know, maybe have a, a slightly tougher fishing day on wild water, but not really. Mm. Like, because either way, it's going to be kind of tough. You're either combat fishing around a bunch of people and getting, you know, your spot jumped. Or right. you're fishing technical water on the Davidson. And I will take the technical water on the Davidson all day. Yeah, it's, and it's very... the guy was like, okay, fair enough. And we went out there and had a good day. And yeah. saw nobody. Because really? everybody was on West Fork. Well, <laughs> let, let me break it down like this. This is a bit better explain, explain it to you. And it'll make more sense this way. So there's seven seven uh, pods of fish mm-hmm. on Rough. the whole river. <laughs> Roughly, yeah. On Shelton, yeah. Yeah. After it's been stocked. So this is delayed there's seven pods yeah. mm-hmm. that are maybe 10 um, feet long. And they're dense. I mean, there's like 30, yeah. 40 fish. In yeah. They're so dense. And then yeah. how many people are out there? More There's than seven. More than after after. <laughs> That's why it's so tough. After yeah. post COVID, get to a pod. Right after post. That was a good way to put it. There's seven. There's seven pods right now because mm. there's seven stocking points. And if there's more than seven people on those seven stocking points, and it just turns into a cluster. And also, like the thing about delayed harvest stuff is, you know, it's just stalkers, right? But the thing is, is where, you know, they. Uh, where the water's so low, basically this year, wherever they've dumped those fish, they've just kind of stayed there. Yeah, they haven't spread out very In one much. pod, yeah. And so usually what we rely on exactly. is like a good rain for everything to kind of, you know, spread out on delayed harvest so that they get scattered out, right? Um, but right now, um, like for like two days after stock, I was throwing like Chernobyl and name your dropper because it was so shallow. <laughs> and there, there was a pot of fish right there at that confluence hole and we just probably whacked like 50 of them and then went home and then um went down to another pod below that probably whacked like another um no that same day we sat there at that one hole probably caught like 30 and then went down below that and caught like another 10 or 20 and it was just stupid you know dumb stalkers bam 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 in low water and there was this bell in the back of my head that was like this isn't gonna last but for maybe a couple days before these fish start i mean because there's so many people on the river and they're fr- they're so stock they're you know they're so fresh that I was like, these fish are going to get beat, and then it's going to get tough, and then there's going to be nobody out here because <laughs> nobody can get yeah. these stalkers to eat. And the thing is, is the what I always tell people, and this is something that I learned from the Davidson, is like, as long as you've got fish there, you can get them to eat. Like, you can get them to eat. You know, mm-hmm. you try hard enough, you, you stay diligent, you're patient, you will and can get trout to eat. Like, it just becomes a patience game at that point. Yes. And it's like, you know, last year, 
it I was using, you know, and last year was still we were still in a drought and it was still pretty low um, when October came around. But the river, just the way that the hole set up, we just had more water out there. The holes had changed this year and uh, last year I was fishing it like just regular wild water, you know, not throwing an egg and a squirmy worm, but using like, you know, size 16 nymphs and, you know, uh, stimulators, elk caddis, that kind of thing. Like I just fish like all summer long anywhere else and I was catching fish, but this year from where they stocked them and they haven't had a chance to spread out yet, they're just sitting in those pods getting beat to death. And so my brain reverted to like Davidson stuff. Cause I was like, okay, so the Davidson is the highest pressured stream and probably the East at this point. If it's, it's like top them, three, yeah. it's like the, it's in the top three highest pressured and it's an excellent fishery, but those fish are so used to seeing people. And I was like, eventually at some point, these fish are going to get a little bit too used to seeing people. And then they're going to revert back to just, you know, not eating anything that you throw at them. But like what Ethan, uh, told us the other night, like once, once water gets so low, and even stalkers have this instinct, like once once water gets so low and you have such a slow current, the current isn't kicking up enough aquatic insects for the fish to feed on. So like their natural instinct is to eat things like midges. Right. Like and that's size 22, 24. Like, I mean, I was throwing like 18s and 20s today. And really for the last two or three days, that's what I've been doing. And I've just been treating it like the Davidson where you know, you're throwing like the game is midges and small dry flies. And then I'd see a couple just like sitting like two inches from the surface, just feeding every now and again. And I just go right back to the Davidson stuff. Like I've done all summer long and just start throwing CDC dry flies and catching fish. So right. it's like, there's, if there's a will, there's a way. And you just kind of have to like, and even though it is stalkers, right. You know, some, some fish still revert back to like a lot of their natural instincts. I feel yes. like, and I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of the Davidson is stalkers too at this point. I mean, you still got a lot of wild fish in there. There's a lot of holdover browns that got there's a put t- in from Hurricane Fred. But. There's a lot of holdover browns, and they eat just like wild fish do at oh, this yeah. point. I mean, they're completely keyed in on what they're supposed to be eating at this point, mm-hmm. and they eat just like the rest of the wild fish do. Yeah, it's pretty impressive how a how even a stalker can quickly revert back after getting a ton of pressure. But no, yeah. on, on the point you made earlier, though, that's, that's kind of the way I explain to people when I'm teaching them how to fly fish, especially on the Davidson. Because look at the flies and they're like, man, these things are small. Yeah. And my, my lady asked me today, there's two hooks underneath that dry fly? It's like, yes, there are two flies underneath that dry fly and they may as well just be hooks. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and that's a good way to, to look at it too. So, and you know, my biggest, and I've, I've harped on this a lot, we all have and we all teach us to people, is that the fly pattern, when it comes to dictating what fly pattern you choose, um, when you're out trout fishing, really half of it is just due to current flow to be honest with you yeah and it's basic laws of physics and water height and current flow yep so if the water's high there's a lot of stuff coming down those bigger aquatic insects are going to get washed down fish whatever you want Um, yeah and if it's low you know like a bigger mayfly nymph or a bigger stonefly isn't going to get washed down because there's not enough current to push it off a rock so yeah and just because you put it in front of the fish's faces and it looks like food to them those fish like they know what's food and what's not food. Yeah, you know well, I mean? they, they, and they, they also, see stuff coming down to them, and they know what size it should be. Yeah, exactly. And I think, right, you know, right. especially on wild fish, if they see something just gargantuan one drift by them. Or a giant pink worm. <laughs> which, a squirming worm is still not a fly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a trout a magnet. <laughs> so, I'll touch, that on, I'll touch on that later. You but, already did. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, these guys kind of make fun of me a little bit, because even on delayed harvest, I refuse to use a squirmy worm or an egg. It's I've just, got to the point, dude, it's like my conviction. Tying a squirmy worm and a mop fly at this point to me is just a waste of a hook. 
because it's like after fresh stock, they're eating anything you want. Like yeah. you might as well just tie like a hare's ear or a pheasant tail or something that sure. you're going to use later because that's what I do. I don't fish eggs or squirmies or mop flies anymore because it's like they just sit in your box for the it, the only time you're going to use them is three days after stock and then or they muddy just, water or that's about the the only time i will intently put on a squirming worm at, at this point is the water's high and muddy because that does work and yeah. imitates like earthworms that are getting washed in like yeah. you know because we all see earthworms like pop out of the ground when it, they start drowning when the yeah. soul gets saturated and so that works and that makes sense but yeah um Here's a little fun fact. And you might as well you. just use a, a, like, if the water's muddy, I've always liked to just use a girdle bug or a big girdle bug. works great too, right? yeah. It's like, um, and, but to me, like, tying something bright and crazy and stupid, I didn't mean to interrupt your fun fact. Your <laughs> science corner? <laughs> your science corner. <laughs> but, like, the, the thing, it's like, you might as well just, as a guide, it's like, okay, I'm going to tie a bunch of flies that I know that stalkers are still going to eat that fresh after stock. But that way I've got them in my box so that I can use them maybe next june if the water's high or next august sure. even if the water's high like i want to tie stuff that i can use um for a later date but still get these fresh stalkers on because like squirming worms mop flies and all that stuff you're not i mean at least for us i mean other people do different things in different fisheries like I know my buddy sean caught like <laughs> 20 on a squirming worm on the south alston the other day just messing yeah. around and here's here's a good point on and, that this is what i was gonna gonna touch on so Here's the thing, because we've all seen it, right? You go on wild water, right? And you'll find, like, a squirming worm up in a tree or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, your first instinct is to think, that is not the right thing to be doing. However, people wouldn't be consistently doing it unless they were catching at least something on it, right? Yeah, it'll always so catch something. So, here's why. And I'm not a squirming worm hater, but it's Oh, like, I am, but... I mean, I am, but... <laughs> here's the thing, though, as to why it works. So, not just with a squirming worm or an egg, but... You know, a lot of your nymph patterns now are tied with hot spots. It's a big thing now, like a, a yeah. collar of red, orange, pink. So here's your fun science fact today as to why that works, all right? So rainbow trout and brown trout, for example, aren't native Oh, I know to where here. you're going with yes. this. Yeah. So, and, and the stalkers are the same way. Um, where rainbow trout and brown trout are native to, like rainbows being west of the Rockies and then brown trout in Europe and parts of Asia, fun fact of the day, um, they... One of many fun facts of yes. the day. <laughs> a lot of those fish, historically speaking, when you look back at their history of existence, I guess you would say, especially rainbow trout, mm-hmm. um, they've coexisted with salmon and salmon runs, right? And mm-hmm. like if you go up to Alaska, that's a really big portion of a trout's diet are salmon eggs, right? It's yep. a really big hunk of protein for them. And so like one of the best times to go rainbow trout fishing for native rainbows in Alaska is when their salmon are running. Mm-hmm. All those fish are going to be stacked up below the salmon while they spawn, yep. right? So... Even though we don't have salmon here per se, a rainbow or a brown trout still has that genetic instinct in its head to eat a salmon mm-hmm. egg. And so that's why flies, like, that first got kind of started in the competition scene, tie these little hot spots on there. Now it's become really popular to do that. Tie like little bits of pink, orange, or red in there. And that's why it works because yeah. it, it's like a little genetic trigger that that fish can't help but eat it. So well, there's and your now, fun fact of the day. Right, yeah. And that that's, a, that's exactly why that is. And it's like, you know, that evolved from just being little hot spots to squirming worms and then well, to mop the flies worm, like, and then you know and i guess that's why trout magnets work what about what I mean? the san juan worm ethan what do you think about it well you see who now you now you caught me in a corner there to me i don't know so dude. san juan, san juan and, okay so i 
I'm not an expert on this, so if anyone's <laughs> listening and I get this wrong, don't. I'm gonna learn. Don't do not do not roast me for it. But to my understanding, um, there are aquatic worms in the San Juan River that that imitates, and that's what it. And was apparently the Yakima too. Yes. Yeah. And so Up that makes Washington. sense. Um, I'll, I'll I'll share a little bit as to why I don't like squirmy worms very much uh, just to kind of clear the air on that it's because they're cringe isn't it no well (laughs) so it's because you find so many in the tree it's because you pull 10 of them down every time you get in i I just think it's like one of those things it's like there's it's like a so you know the color like sexy shad in the bass fishing world how like everyone has one in their box but no one catches fish on it yeah that's kind of my mentality with like a squirmy worm partly but part of the reason why I don't really like using them is because, like, when I fly fish for trout, I'm thinking about tying something with, like, natural materials I had to think about doing for a little bit. That's kind of the fun behind it, right? And a squirmy worm is just kind of like this thing you could basically thread on a hook. Like, I don't even understand why people tie them. Like, you could just literally thread that thing up on a hook and clip it off, and then, boom, you got a squirmy worm, right? You don't even need to really tie it on with thread. Yeah. So, you could whack your It's it. like <laughs> fishing 101. That's what you've learned when – or it's not – it's something you didn't learn. It's something you just did when you – people started fishing. Like, right. thread a worm on a hook. Right. And so, it's kind of like – you know, it's kind of blurring the lines between – that and spin fishing not to say there's anything wrong with throwing a trout magnet or squirming worm i'm not saying that Uh, i'm not saying they can't be effective they can be but it's just kind of one of those things that's like okay so if i'm gonna fly fish i'm gonna tie on a nymph or a dry fly and i'm going to try and imitate aquatic insects as the best of my ability because that's what the fish are eating normally and and that's just me on that Um, but and granted i might just be too hard-headed of a purist in that sense uh, honestly dude I'll, because I'll, people come out and you know like so three days fresh after stock you could throw it doesn't matter you're gonna catch as long as you can get it drift you're gonna catch something well i think you know and too, it's like you might as well just use like a copper beadhead hairs or nymph because you're gonna see that bright shiny and that instinct's gonna kick in anyway and they're just gonna eat it well another reason why i don't really like it very much like, is well, that i waste the i think it's i think it becomes kind of too much of a crutch pattern because someone and this is for people's own sake, right? Like, so someone who's just getting into fly fishing, mm-hmm. I think it kind of does them a disservice in a way because, um, you know, you go out and you wax like 30 stalkers on a squirmy worm. Um, and then that you think in your head that that is the only fly that you need at that point, right? As right. a squirmy worm. But that doesn't really teach you anything about like, you know, the aquatic insects that are there, yeah. things of that nature. It doesn't really help you progress as an angler. So th- th- I guess that's really the biggest reason why is because I just don't really see how it's and helpful I used to run. I used to just throw squirmies a lot. And then I learned <laughs> better. <laughs> Sound like an AA meeting. <laughs> and Hi, my name's Mish. Hi, my name's Mish. Mish. I used to throw squirmies a lot. <laughs> no, dude, I used to throw squirmies a lot. And I'm not going to lie, but like... That's when I was I did like, too. I mean, when I was when a kid, I, was I thought it was the greatest out. fly in the world. Yeah, it was like when you're first starting out, it's like, you know, squirmy worm, like wild fish lead a squirmy worm, stockfish lead a squirmy worm. Like, you're going to catch something on a squirmy worm at some point. Yeah. But then, like, once you actually learn how to learn, learn like, the right patterns to use with nymphs and, you know, get your presentation down and just become a generally a better fly fisherman than kind of put the squirmy worm away squirmy worms kind of like training wheels a little bit yeah it is a little like, bit but yeah again too it's just not i just don't really see it as a fly i, I think yeah. that's another big thing i have with it it's just it doesn't it's not a fly like we need to stop it's calling a it color. a fly 
Yeah, it's a color. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a fly. Do you, it's do you a know color. where I learned where to throw the micro egg from? Where's that? Yours truly. When we first started guiding together. That's right. I did show you that. Oh, the yeah, micro so egg. if they won't eat anything yeah. else on a DH, throw a micro egg at them and they'll eat it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still throwing that micro egg. I, I've been... <laughs> I was fidgeting around with one of your rods over here for a second. I actually just thought about that. So, yeah, there's one right over here, Todd. Honestly, I want to. We ready. caught one on it today. Yep. The size? What is that? Like an 18 micro egg? That'll work. That looks like a 16. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Same thing. At that point, it's the same. Thing. Yeah, at that well, at that point, it's all specialized same. 17 <laughs> that I bought from Jamaica. So, what do y'all yeah. think? Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. So well, what do you and then there's been days like, like where in Ethan's had this happen too on the Davidson, where uh, you know you're throwing a 22 midge, 22 thread midge, like 22, 22, 22, not catching anything, not catching anything. And then the second you tie on a 24, you start railing fish. Yeah, and like you know, sometimes that's the way it is. Like, and that's literally just one size down, and you're just like, what the heck? It's same fly, one size down, and you're like, what? Yeah, like, I think you know with that it could be too. In the Davidson, there's a lot of trichos. No, and yeah. trichos are extremely small, and sometimes I can key in on them, especially in those shallow flats through there. Yeah. So, you know, that's probably why. That's my best guess anyway. But now, while I'm thinking about this, what y'all think of this? So, now they're making half sizes in tippet now, right? So, like 5.5x, 6.5x. Do you think it makes a difference? This is coming from an avid small tippet user. No. I agree. <laughs> I think I think that's kind of like Paul looks like he's oh. about to weigh in. <laughs> oh boy, he's Paul looks like to, he is about to weigh he, in. He is getting restless yeah, over there. Let's no, let him tear he's into it. Squirming around. <laughs> no, but like, dude, my thing is this. <sighs> let me go ahead. Let me out. I completely lost it. my train of thought because I saw you over there like getting hype. <laughs> Listen, I'm looking at it from seven pound test fluorocarbon, which is greater than six. Less than eight, right? Okay, sure. That's a perfect, that's a perfect pound test for me to use for on a spinning rod. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. seventeen is the same exact thing. Seventeen, or I'm sorry, sixteen. Sixteen okay. is I sometimes don't want to go up to seventeen because my spool is so thick. And then fair enough. But that's I mean, tip is different. That we're not talking about technical technicalities with your real size and all that. But <laughs> seven's seven's a good example for that. Right. I like it. I've no, I haven't used it yet, but I do like I do like seven pound tests because I know how brittle six can be. Sure. And eight pound test sometimes doesn't come off the spinning reel as as uh, fluid as you would like. Sure. I but, think with fluorocarbon, it really doesn't matter. Eh, like I think it matters more with like the action of the bait than anything else. To be honest. With yeah. You. I'm, I'm talking about tippet because that's what we started talking about. Oh okay. yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> So <laughs> I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. I've tried ADEX. I don't think it matters. I got a spool of ADEX Trout Hunter just yeah. to see if it make a difference. Yeah. And it's very strong. I will say that for what it is. Like, I didn't expect it to be that strong. But to be honest with you, I could not tell a difference in, like, on my trips whether we were getting more reach or not with it. I tried it. With eight or between eight and seven. Yeah, between eight and seven. Like, I could yeah. not tell a difference in the world. So, like, what and I What are you going to do with seven and a half? That's, like, such a tiny fraction yeah. Of a yeah, I don't think it matters. Decimal of a flipping line size, like it well, just doesn't like four and a half x. Like really, like just use five. I, like five I, I x is literally off, five pound test line. Yeah, like, I always tie off five x to the dry fly, and then like six or seven to the net. Yeah, and that's all I use. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean, 
some cases they'll just tie on four X of the dry fly and five yeah. X of them depending if the water. Now if I'm if I'm fishing like straight dry flies like on the Watauga and I've even done this on the Davidson, I've had like I've had uh five X tied off to just like a strict dry fly. Mm-hmm. And you know, in certain drifts and certain situations, that line's gonna be just a little bit in the water, even if you are high sticking it. And I've had fish come up and look at the fly, see the line, turn away, come up and look at the fly, turn away. And then I yeah, turn I and can't. then I tie on six X or even seven X on a dry fly and then start catching fish. Yeah, I just I just can't decide if it's the line size that's throwing them off or if it's affecting the drift minutely. Like that's something that's kind of like muddled through my head a lot. Cause I'm I don't a, know, man. I'm a I firm because the... like Joe Humphreys, he uses like three X all the time and it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I I'm kind of in the camp where like and the older I get, the more I believe this, to be honest with you, which is curious when we start using 2X out here eventually, but um, for everything. But I, I've gotten to the point now where the I, I kind of think that when it comes to tippet sizes for trout, that it has more to do with affecting your drift than it does with the... Well, yeah, it's like what Matt said. Yeah. With the... Uh, Matt's like... Matt's like, it doesn't, you know... It doesn't exactly... Like, a thicker line is going to take longer to cut through the water column. Um, if you're, you know, if you're using nymphs or, uh, you have like a dry dropper on. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, seven X has a smaller diameter and if it's fluorocarbon, it's going to cut through the water a whole lot quicker, especially if it's got like a tungsten meathead fly on it or something like that. Or even if it doesn't, even if it's just got like a thread midge, I mean, that thread midge is still going to cut through the water a lot quicker because the diameter of that line is so small that it's just going to cut through there. And I don't know. I mean, and obviously, like, the smaller you go down in size with your flies, the lighter the tippet you want to use anyway, sure. just simply because of hook eye size. Mm-hmm. But, like, at that point, I, 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 think you're, I think you're right, too, because, you know, 6X mono or 7X mono travels through the water, you know, a lot more fluidly than, say, like, 4 or 5X. And I mean, I don't know, you can just like see it in the water. And on top of that, you know, it's so thin, so the fish don't see it as much. And I think really, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's probably a combination of the two, personally. So, well, but, uh, yeah. I, know. I would like to try five and a half X, just personal preference. That'd be pretty sweet. And Paul and Ethan give me so much crap because I run six and seven X like all year long. And that's just me. Well, but I don't lose fish. Well, I don't, we all have our ways of skinning the squirrel or some things yeah. I, y'all do that I have no idea how it works, but it does. So Yeah. But on that, but I think anyway, is there yeah, I think, any other any other stuff we want to go over today? Or I think we're about well <laughs> Once we start getting off on a tangent like that, that the answer to that question is no. <laughs> but yeah, it was so funny because <laughs> we were talking about this at Ethan. We were talking about line size over beers at Ethan's house the other night. And it was like... It was like the biggest debate ever. And of course I was getting roasted because I use lines that are so light, like all the time. <laughs> and really, and a lot of it too, is just kind of like your, uh, I guess it's really a lot of it's like what kind of tippet you buy. Like that's one of the few things where like quality of brand really matters in fly fishing. I think a little bit. Yeah. Cause like I dude in Orvis tippet used to not be, and I know we're supposed to wrap up, but like Orvis tippet used to not be like, you know, much any like super brittle, like nobody really went for it. But dude, I've used Orvis Tippet like all season their long. Their fluorocarbon's really good. Their fluorocarbon is awesome. And dude, I've been buying their mono leaders. Their mono leaders are awesome. Like to me, way better than Rio, honestly. Mm. I, I still so Well, I wouldn't say way better. I mean I still use Rio, but I would like, say the top three right now are Trout Hunter, 
Well, top four. Trout Hunter, Scientific Angler, Orvis, and Rio. Well, Scientific Angler and Orvis are the same thing now. Kind of, yeah. I but, mean, in a nutshell. Well, Scientific Angler, is there a new fluoro? It's super expensive, but like... But it works. It's stout. It is yeah. very stout. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we got to wrap up here. We all got places to be this evening, so... Um, guys, thanks for listening and tune in next time. This production is brought to you by Southern Appalachian Anglers Guide Service in Asheville, North Carolina, where trusted guides provide exceptional service.